Hello and welcome to episode 15 for Across the Isle. The prodigal host returneth to me, Carla Donnelly, and I am joined by my muse, Philip Teal. You're back. That makes me the running dad. <laughs> the running dad. Let me enfold you in a Rembrandt-style embrace. <laughs> Wonderful. In today's episode, we will be discussing Lilith the Jungle Girl by Sisters Grimm at the Melbourne Theatre Company and our possible sponsored show, Two Dogs, by Meng Jinghui, presented by the Melbourne International Arts Festival. Our trip to Two Dogs was selected by Julian Lair as a possible reward. Thank you, Julian. Julian Lair is the CEO of the Marco Polo Project, a bilingual website highlighting contemporary Chinese writing. We'll also be catching up on the last three months over intermission and coordinating for coming soon. It's the tail end of festival season, so it's time to cherry pick for our waning energies. <laughs> I'm keen to hear what you want to check out, Philip. But up first, it's your pick, Lilith the Jungle Girl. Lilith. Yeah, I thought it was important for us to see Lilith. Because our very first episode, way back when, was about the neon festival run by the Melbourne Theatre Company and hosting a number of independent theatre companies in a kind of contained festival of weird new theatre. This is the Melbourne Theatre Company's new direction when it comes to this kind of thing called Neon Next. And so we got to see something that the Melbourne Theatre Company would not ordinarily program within the Melbourne Theatre Company season. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> because it was in the Lola. It, yes. And it also makes a lot of sense for the extremely confused boomers that were sitting around <laughs> me trying to, and I couldn't figure out why this was programmed this way. So thank you for that. And interestingly, I was there on opening night and there was a sense from that opening night audience of independent artists and their friends that we had made it, girl. We were here. We were queer. We were going to Borneo together. <laughs> and the tone of the um, show was a kind of high, fast, queer cabaret and with a sort of post-colonial series of twists. In the program note, we hear that when a young wild girl is captured in the rainforests of Borneo, all of Holland is set abuzz. The year is 1861 and pioneering neuroscientist Charles Penworth, played by the immaculate Candy <laughs> Bowers, is called upon to raise the child from the pit of her animal nature. But as Lilith learns to tame her feral heart and live amongst the glitterati of colonial Amsterdam, <laughs> she begins to wonder who indeed is the real savage. So the gender bending continues. Lilith is played by the equally fabulous Ash Flanders, who is revealed in a box covered in goo and completely naked. Indeed. The way that I experienced this show was as sheer entertainment via political commentary. And the moments that were most satisfying were when those two things were exactly simultaneous. So there'd be some perfect quotation of colonial language taken radically out of context that somehow made for pitch-perfect theatrical comedy. And from the very moment that Candy Bowers started using language like poppycock and flimflam, <laughs> flim <laughs> I was just kind of quirkily entranced by the whole thing. Um, the set was spectacularly simple 
and there were lots of little jokes about what was in fact quite arbitrary staging, including that sort of pink paint that didn't have to be there. And yet since it was, it became a series of jokes about slipping and sliding on the goo, um, the reveal or non-reveal of the penis of Lilith. And then as well, there was this curtain that would circulate around the centre of the stage. And in my favourite scene, uh, the curtain moving machine had somehow slowed down. So that as we listened to the song Kiss Me, we had to sort of start the track again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, It was just a wonderful performance and truly, truly quirky throughout. Wow. So I feel like from your exuberance that you were quite thrilled with this. And I think like opening night would have been because I didn't get to make opening night. So I feel like we probably experienced it with very different crowds. Oh, it was a fabulous crowd. And as soon as there were moments of sort of arch camp symbolic grandeur, like when Lilith is dressed up to be properly Dutch, but the way they do it is to make her into a sort of giant coat of arms of the Netherlands with a spinning windmill attached to her back. I mean, how can you not just sort of bathe in the warm water of such a a pleasure? Yeah. uh, I I went to almost pretty much the last show due to my travel schedule. I wanted to love this, but I didn't quite get the... I've been sort of ruminating about it for a long time, thinking, you know, is this their sort of style been downplayed for a more mainstream MTC audience or sort of bringing it more to a main stage MTC? I'm not sure. You mean Sisters Grimm, the company? Sisters Grimm, mm. correct. So, mm. And also it sort of felt like a, a kind of, this sort of sounds derogatory, but like a greatest hits of their political agenda. I don't want to say agenda, that's a terrible word, but um, political fascination, obsession, But I don't think it's sort of that glib. I think it was definitely a refinement of a lot of the topics that they have uh, conversed on previously. They're obsessed with colonisation, which is completely fair. It's a stain on our culture and it is the primary place that, you know, we all come from and we where where all of our politics spring from and the very reason why these white people are allowed to create this play on this stage today. So I think framing it in this sort of more Rudyard Kipling, Jungle Book meets Frankenstein narrative was a much cleverer way of doing the whole sort of paternalistic science race thing of men. Because it was a bit distanced? Yeah, yes. So it was clever in the way that, you know, it was Dutch. You know, you got that kind of Dutchness. It was set in Holland Mm. and, you know, you had this kind of um, Western or European pompous uh, mentality on top of it. But, you know, the Dutch aren't really, you know, any of the primary colonisers of the past, you know, 500 years. Or at least not of where we are. However, there was a moment when they sort of emphasised New Holland. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, wink, wink. But you're right. I mean, there's a question, isn't there, when you're dealing with politics that should be local and should be relevant to a contemporary audience. The question is, how much do you let the audience feel the comfort of distance and alienation from the scenario, even 
dressing Australian colonisers as totally camp, over-the-top, elaborate Captain Cook-wigged types allows us to go, oh, of course, if we were dressed like that, we'd take the wig off and everything would just be fine. Okay, yes. Right? And, And Candy Bowers also lets us in a little bit because, you know, she's not a white colonising person. So her in that role allows us to, again, be a bit more playful and relaxed and backslappy. Having said all of that, surely that's a strategy of luring people in, tempting them to come along so that you can actually deliver the ironic but effective slap on the face that hopefully resonates with the target audience. I'm not sure if it was successful in that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think this was a bit of a shaggy dog of a production for me. I really like the set, but every every single element of this production had something off for me. So Candy Bowers, um, who was also a woman of colour for the people who have not do not know her or have not seen the production, and she was playing a male white scientist, eighteenth century scientist, and then you have Genevieve Giffre, Giffre, who is the you know female scientist constantly being degraded and talked over and belittled by the male scientist. A lot of these relationships in these settings just kind of had something that was missing for me. And the the sort of 90s child elements in there that the boomers around me were just, they just were looking around wondering why everyone was laughing so much. I feel like it, it kind of straddled this fence of both worlds, but it wasn't successful in communicating to either. Like it should have either been this complete farce, 90s farce, or over the top like The Sovereign Wife. I really wish you'd seen that because The Sovereign Wife was extraordinary. Or, you know, just 90s rave kids, you know, totally hitting it for their audience. And yet let's think about this sort of in-betweenness that I think you've rightly identified, the sort of... um shade of grey rather than black or white approach that they took, perhaps even sort of symbolised by this ambiguous paint that just sort of covered and disguised everything on the stage. A memorable scene for me was when Lilith, who is a lion, goes and visits the lions in the zoo, having decided to return to the jungle, return to her lion (laughs) identity. And there, Candy Bowers has kind of recostumed herself as a fabulous boombox-wielding lion of the zoo. (laughs) Streets, urban lion. And Lilith has this awful experience of being rejected by her own kind as some kind of sellout. Now, I worked at Immigration Museum And many of the exhibits that were mounted there about stories of migration would explore this phenomenon that is, I don't know, perhaps archetypally Melbourneian or Australian, of people feeling neither nor between two categories. And for queer artists like Sisters Grimm to identify that as a terrain of interesting oddness and betweenness, I think makes sense at some level. Um, yeah. and, so, and so kind of being neither nor both and having somebody who is a person of colour being like an arch camp expression of whiteness and maleness, while, you know, the, the only white man on the stage is actually playing a person of another species. I mean, like the queerness <laughs> is so multi-layered uh, that it becomes potentially the only way that these questions can be authentically explored. And I think that's what they were shooting for with everything sort of being between categories. I Yeah, I accept that reading and I feel like that was very much, but that was coming through. But I, 
I don't know, maybe it's just the performance I saw, but I kind of feel like both sides left a little bit bewildered or a little bit not fulfilled. Mm, mm. And I can see and I can see how that is the risk of of sure. a company like this. The risk is that you um shoot for the middle and land there with with neither sort of political side or ethnical cultural or generational side being being satisfied. Do you think I sort of had this idea as well especially with the when she goes to the zoo to meet the the urban lions <laughs> of you know um sort of cultural self-determination as a grotesquerie as well. I found that really fascinating because I, I have a Maltese heritage and it's something that you've talked about just then. It's it's very true. Like a lot of the the WOG culture here is it's frozen in time in the 50s, mm. but they're holding from when they immigrated, but they're holding on to these ideals as that's what it is. But then you go to Malta, you go to Italy, you go to Greece, and they're modern countries mm. just like us. You go, you know, I'd never forget the first time I met a Maltese person who was my age and I was just blown away. It mm. was like going into the future. And so where do you see that reflected in the production? The whole zoo thing. Mm, mm. So, you know, she, she is straddling this line, mm-hmm. Lilith, of being a appropriated sort of cultural curiosity and uh, not fitting in anywhere in this modern world now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is a displacement that almost everybody has and everybody's feeling, I'm not sure. Well, in any case, I think that the character of Lilith by the end of the play, was sort of offered to us as a potential way to think about those questions and a potential sort of figurehead for individuals who do identify as, you know, falling between two stools. <laughs> there were so many stool sight gags yes. in the play, so I think bravo, the, the, Philip. The, the, the kind of the theatre craft lesson of this production is, if in doubt, just strew everything with colour. I did like, I loved that metaphor of, you know, really, you know, once they get Lilith out of the crate, she's in a massive pool of pink mud, but the mud never went away. Mm. It was kind of this afterbirth colonisation metaphor for the stain that it just you know, obliterates onto everything. Nobody is clean. <laughs> yes. And everyone uh, is fabulous. <laughs> I did I did have a good time. And certainly after being away for almost four months, it was probably the most Australian experience <laughs> I could have had straight off the plane. Yes. So thank you very much. Welcome home. <laughs> it's Woo! intermission. I need several wines yes. and some... What are they selling at the MTC these days? They're really fancy from the chocolate place in South Yarra. Really? Yeah, those uh, chocolate-covered almonds. Oh, Get me some of those. Good. Yeah. I was at a um, Music of Viva Chamber Music concert recently, the Jerusalem String Quartet, fantastic show, and the person introducing the performance and telling people to turn off their phones also said, unwrap your throat lozenges. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop. That is so good. And was applauded, like, aggressively by, you know, boomers who no doubt, you know, were the people who were not of the throat lozenge tribe. Delicious. Oh, my God. That's why I had to stop going to Monday Nova <laughs> during the day. It was just constant rustle, 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 rustle. I'm like, this uh, is not worth saving $6. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But, look, I'm so keen to hear about the United States of America. Oh, the US of A. 
Yes. East Coast, West Coast. Seattle. Seattle. Or Seattleish, mm. as I found out, is actually its name. It's weird. It is one of the only three cities in the US that has a Native American name. Right, right. But it's, of course, it was Seattleish, but they changed it to Seattle because no one could pronounce Seattleish, apparently. Ah. Um, but okay. close, close. Uh, Pacific Northwest is amazing. Are they? I had a great time. Theatrical, operatic. It is very like Melbourne. There, it's uh-huh. bizarre. Uh, it, in fact, it's much more chilled out than Melbourne. People are very, almost to the point of like lobotomized. They're so. <laughs> Relaxed. It's pretty crazy. To go back to Lilith for a moment with a lobotomized <laughs> yeah. character. It's kind of like Tasmania. Oh, nice. If Tasmania had Melbourne as its capital city. So you've got all this like crazy, amazing mm. nature. Hinterland. And you've got this awesome, urban, mm. phenomenal art mm. city. Uh, it's pretty perfect, mm. to be What'd honest. you see? What'd you see? Well, I didn't see anything in Seattle. I kind of took a I took the opportunity to really take a break from seeing shows and all that kind of stuff. But I did go to New York and I'll say two things of note. I went and saw the exhibition of The Ballad of Sexual Dependency by Nan Golden. Mm -hmm. It's a photographic exhibition that I've had the coffee table book for quite some time. But it's on at MoMA at the moment and uh, I never knew that it was actually a uh, slideshow of photos set to music. Nan Golden lived in New York from the you know mid seventies. I think she still lives there now, and just you know took really beautiful photos of these underground queer you know freaks, mm. people you know very sort of on the edge of society, mm. on the docks. I guess <laughs> just beautiful, sexual, mm. rude, amazing mm. pictures. And seeing the entire slideshow was religious. Mm. And then I saw um, Alison Bechdel's musical Fun Home. Hey, cool. I'm jealous. Oh, my God. Tears. How wonderful. So many tears. Mm. It was really incredible and it was everything that you want out of a Mm. Broadway musical. It was flawless. Yeah. Oh, yes. What about you? What have you been doing? Well, we've had had Fringe. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I had had a few nights out at North Melbourne just because when you go to the Fringe Club or the Fringe Hub at Arts House, inevitably you see something that makes you want to see the rest of that thing. So I went to the opening night gala performance, which was hosted by Sammy Shah. And then I'm like, right, I've got to see his show because he's a hilarious host who keeps telling us to see shows. Then I go to, you know, a night with Andy Snelling's show, Deja Vu, Fabulous Physical Theatre, followed by A Prudent Man by Lab Kelpie. How is that? I love Lyle. Yeah. Well, that, Shout that, out to yes, Lyle. Yes, yes, yes. Um, just a remarkable monologue. Oh, really? Just um, brutal. Yeah, okay. About conservative politics. Amazing. Like a glimpse into how a person that you don't understand politically might join the dots in his own head to be the monster at your Christmas dinner. <laughs> really effective. Fascinating. Anyway, the, the only reason I was seeing shows on that night was Immaculate. Ah, uh, Stephen Nicolazzo's show. celebration of Madonna. Like uh, it was like yeah. a big Madonna thing with Little Ones Theatre sort of overseeing and curating it. Anyway. The moral of the story is Tessa Waters was hosting that. And so I thought, she's amazing. Never seen her before, but now I need to see her show. So that's how Fringe worked for me. So my mental note to myself next year is just go to the opening night without any tickets. Keeping your calendar free. Follow the breadcrumbs. Follow the crumbs. Yeah. Hansel and Gretel style. That is awesome. And yeah, it was, it was so successful 
as a space, that North Melbourne uh, environment. And, like, the later you were there, the the higher the kicks. Sure. Um, and apart from that, I was at the Czech and Slovak Film Festival, run by Cerise Howard, oh. Hi, local Cerise. legend. Yeah. And just a wonderful balancing act between remarkable masterpieces from the past and quite edgy, kind of often scary contemporary film from Czech and Slovak. So my um, my uh, gut opinion of that is that it'd be sort of really hard going. Mm. Was it was mm. it hard going? Yeah, okay. hard going, but but like, I was hoping okay. we made so, wrong. So 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 the so the most um, beautiful image of any of the films I saw was of wolves in the snow. Wow! Right, so. That seems to be the symbolic image that I've settled with for cinema from these countries, which is, you know, about harshness, coldness, fierceness, but beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, really beautiful. Great. So I can't wait for the fifth festival next year. I'm jealous. Mm. I'm jealous. But I did have another summer, so I'm really ridiculously brown right now. like migrating birds. (laughs) Gorgeous. And I'm ready for it to happen here now. Come on, Melbourne. But what about Trump? Oh, well, interestingly enough, because I, I was working there in an office, it's very it's very not okay to talk about politics or religion Ooh. in well, in the office that I was in. I'm not sure if that's every office. But it was like very oh. not okay. Um, and then in terms of my friends that were there, they were just kind of ignoring the whole thing Gross. as you would. But I tried to sort of bring it up with a few people and they just were dismissive because they're just like I'm sick of it Mm. it's been going on for two years I don't want to hear about it well even at the best of times a presidential election in the states is stupidly marathon it's so crazy long Mm. I don't care you know gross and there was governor elections in the state that I was in oh but I will say one thing legal weed (laughs) Washington state has legal marijuana that's so comic and you can just go to a shop (laughs) you just like show them ID you go to the shop and they've just got edibles and flour and all the accoutrement and but then the hilarious thing is is that most people in the service injury industry are extremely stoned (laughs) so it's really difficult to like get your order right or you know and then they're just so stoned and smiling at you and I'm like "Uh, I wanted this one and they're like okay a McMuffin Uh, yeah It's hilarious. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what a laugh. What a bizarre summer. Anyway, good to see you. Yeah. Oh, China. Oh, we got to go. Who are these Chinese people? I know. Everywhere. Oh, my God. I love it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> All right. So our second show is Two Dogs. As we've mentioned, Julian there has sent us along. And the little blurb for Meng Jinghui's play says, Two country canines hit the road for the big smoke, but when they fall into a metropolitan miasma of reality TV, Viagra, SARS and Louis Vuitton knockoffs, they begin to realise a dog's life isn't what it used to be. So as Philip just mentioned in intermission, it was quite extraordinary to see so many Asian people at the Malt House, which is, you know, totally a comment on a comment on a comment. But uh, so that was wonderful. And so many young people as well, which I thought was really great. The fashion was on point. Oh, my God, stop. The bags. Yes, and the hair. Everything. Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> 
I knew nothing about this play. I know nothing about Meng Jinghui, apart that he is obviously of some eminence from China. And he was actually out here last year directing a show for the Malthouse called The Good Szechuan. Oh, right. Same person. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that was part of an exchange because Marion Potts, the old director, went to China to direct a play. So that's really the the basics of, of what I knew. Uh, and then I read the program today because it was rather unfortunate, I think, for us that about 25% of the performance was in unsubtitled Mandarin. Oh, no, there was a subtitle. It said in capital letters, actors improvising. (laughs) (laughs) Or even better when it said, mocking the audience. Yeah. (laughs) So I had that kind of transfer from Lilith of me being the boomer in a play, not understanding what is going on. Literally not getting it. Literally not getting it. So it was nice to kind of supplant that that information. So I don't even know where to start with this play. It was a production of different elements that you wouldn't, I, in my Western mind, don't expect to be put together on stage. There was a band for no apparent reason. With amazing hair. Oh, metal, Chinese metal guys with really long hair. Yes. There was like a spray painted kind of urban backdrop and the two performers were in urban contemporary clothes. Well, I assumed from the beginning, just because I didn't get it, that this must be somehow traditional, that there must be genre things going on that were cueing other people in the audience to know roughly what was happening. And indeed, the next day, I was at a picnic and there were people there who had seen the show the night before, which itself was interesting. These Mandarin-speaking young, cool kids were there and were happy to have been there and there's a bit of buzz about it. They're talking about it on WeChat, right? So the Melbourne Festival has been effectively targeting the community of Mandarin speakers in Melbourne to get along. They got along and they knew roughly what to expect. Now, they told me that cross-talk, that's the direct translation of the genre, is a thing where there's two people being funny together, one older, one younger, sort of in a master-student sort of relationship, that all of that stuff about sort of clapping and cheering, little gestures and moments of comedy are to be expected when you go to a show like this, but that ultimately what we saw is what it is, just sort of a dorky series of physical comedy where improvisation is at the heart of the art form and nothing is really very serious. They, like I didn't really follow the narrative oh, and, the, and, and and they were able to understand the words. So even though lots of what I experienced as sort of confusion, I was putting down to language gaps, they also experienced a version of because, well, essentially the narrative was just something happens, they read a letter, then something else happens, and then they read a letter again. It was really deliberately jumping all over the place right. as these two dogs moved through experiences either of wealth or poverty, of freedom or incarceration, basically providing new environments to set up little comic antics between themselves. Okay, so sort of as a jumping off point for improvisation. Yeah, and even those settings seemed pretty archetypal. So there was a prison scene with prison comedy. And there was like a town mouse, country mouse sort of, I live with a rich owner now, says one of the dogs. And so they can mock the rich kind of thing. Right, okay. So sort of like a 
a tasting plane of all sort of contemporary social issues. And... Yes, yes. And it actually, I thought of Don Quixote, the novel, as I was watching it, that sort of picaresque style of linear experiences of kind of two clown-like characters seeing what happens and responding to whatever happens as they go along their journey of life. Yeah, okay. So they're definitely archetypal characters. Sure. And and according to my um, Chinese-speaking friends, again, so this was not my insight, but they suggested that the younger performer didn't quite get the genre as well as the old guy did. Oh, so that okay. he kept bringing little moments of just totally on-point improvisation that the other guy, and I loved this, would respond to by laughing authentically. I thought I actually enjoyed that feature <laughs> of him too. losing it over and over again at the comedy antics of this older performer. Um, But I think what is more um, correct in this style of cross-talk performance is for both performers to be schooled in the tradition and to be able to sort of keep up that characterisation and improvisation without without just sort of guffawing as our performers are. The two performers are Liu Xiaoyi and Han Pengyi. I'm not sure which one is which. No, and I was just looking at my notes trying to think that as well. Um, so sorry for calling them young guy and old guy, but we'll just stick with that. <laughs> or more experienced. Yes. <laughs> little and big, big brother, little brother. But the younger performer was obviously some kind of like babe magnet, young Watch person draw card. A legend. because oh, he was so gorgeous and, and talented. Oh my God, one of the scenes was the him girls, just flicking his hair. And all the girls around me were just like screaming Gagging. like it was a K-pop concert, yes. you know. Yes, yes. Um, it was such a bizarre, no, I wouldn't want to say bizarre, it was such a different cultural experience for me. I don't have a lot of um, Mandarin-speaking people in my life, but I have to say, once I got home, I was trying, I'm doing this whole, you know, automatic sifting and sorting of cultural experiences and what is, you know, what does Australia make Australia and all that kind of stuff. And I have to say, the first thing that I felt like when I'm like, oh, I'm home, was I went and got a massage and I was just hearing all of the... Uh, staff giggling and talking to each other in Mandarin and that was the first time that I thought oh I'm home mm. I'm really home mm. so it was extraordinary experience for me and also to have that real fish out of water experience as well and see all these young people and how they reacted particularly in terms of you know Melbourneian audiences are so um, staid and and reserved and this was like a party yeah Oh, from the beginning. I've never experienced anything like it. And they seem to all know what to do. Right. I mean, I I was laughing at, at moments that were funny, but what I didn't realise is that you were meant to laugh and clap. Right. Or at the beginning, you know, when Melbourneian audiences other than this one arrive late, everyone sort of awkwardly moves their knees to the side. Here, they put the house lights up and started mocking the latecomers. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And everyone that. was also sort of up for that too. It seems to me because I think like, you know, there'd be a cultural stereotype that Chinese people are like very, you know, severe or quiet. And to be in this experience was amazing. That is such an interesting observation. That's so true that the migrants to Australia, who were the majority of the audience um, in their 20s and 30s, I reckon actually based on how our culture operates, would behave in a reserved way more often than not, in public public space-type environments. Um, but it's actually not their culture. It's, it's, it's right. definitely not their entertainment culture, as right. we witnessed, as we experienced. 
when they're, um, you know, hosting each other and eating together or going to cross-talk shows together, it's just loose and loud. And actually, I found it ultimately uh, relaxing too. So this is this is a comment about the highbrow or not quality of the show. Now, I reckon that this was pretty easy going for the audience. It was sort of at the level of um, daytime TV or a kind of user-friendly comedy festival show. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 was, it was relaxing and easy to follow. The harshest thing that could happen is, you know, they take your bag as part of a sight gag and your Chanel number <laughs> is, you know, on the stage and you think, oh, <laughs> well, will actually, they use my credit card? Well, actually, we don't know how heavily they were humiliating them in Mandarin, so we Indeed. don't. <laughs> Indeed. But but the but the response of the audience members whose bags were being stolen was very sporting. Like, you know, yeah. the the vibe was just like, oh, this again. Yeah. This th- you know, this trick. Yeah. So I decided early on that my way to enjoy the show was to just let it wash over me, clap when other people clapped, sort of ritually take part in the experience as if I understood more than I did. And that did increase my understanding or my sort of physical experience of the show. And it became more and more psychedelic for me subjectively. And yet then a video came on as part of the performance while they sang The Yellow Submarine in English. And the video was completely 60s psychedelia. Punks, (laughs) you know, punk meets the 60s. And I thought, oh, that's good because that's how I've experienced every single moment of this production. (laughs) And I feel validated now. I mean, it didn't even end. The show didn't end. No, I know. It was so loose. And it was almost like a cabaret, Mm. like an improvised cabaret. Mm. I don't Mm. want to put kind of Western performance Mm. terms on it, but just for the audience's sake, it's sort of a, a likeness. Yeah, and you could you felt that you could go and get a beer and come back and it would still be happening and you'd jump in and get it and that was okay. Yeah, just that people could leave and come yeah. back in. Yeah. And, you know? uh, yeah. and I was like, oh, well, this is obviously a cultural thing. Like people can sort of duck in and duck out as they like or they can arrive late or there's this kind of, you know, it's almost like a family vibe. I kind of felt mm. like I'd gone to some huge big Mandarin wedding or mm. something like that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and – the thing that I have learned from the experience is that here it was really foregrounded that there were language and cultural differences at play. And yet, as you notice rightly about the different audiences for the Melbourne Theatre Company, that's just always true. And it was worthwhile having it literalised so clearly. And the next time that I go to a show, especially at Melbourne Festival, and we will see some more Melbourne Festival shows and talk about them on our next episode, I'll be approaching them in a kind of outsider way. Right. Um, because I, I reckon that if I don't, I'm lying to myself. Right. Okay. When, when, when something is from another culture in another language, then the best thing to do, I think, for now, this is a kind of working theory, the best thing to do is just fully embrace your outsider status. Sure. And, and I mean, to me, to <laughs> me like you've, you felt, um, you know, among family, I felt that I had been landed on like an overpriced tour of the suburbs of Beijing. <laughs> and like they'd given you your rice at six o'clock and now it was time for the floor show. Okay, amazing. You know? <laughs> I think that outsider status thing is really funny as well because I just found how I was observing my own behaviour and, you know, there was two girls sitting next to me 
that were just constantly on chat on their phone oh. with the, with the uh, brightness oh. really turned down, which is something that I would almost punch someone in the face for. <laughs> um, but I never said a word. I'm like, hmm. this isn't my space. This isn't my culture. And hmm. a lot of people were on their phones. Like, yeah. you know, they would take, take a message, laugh at something they said, go back to their phone. The house lights were up most of the time, so yeah. half the people were on their phones. Yeah. It, was, it was a very different experience for me and I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Julianne. Thank you, Julianne. I will be um yeah, going to things like this if only to feel that my friends are cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you by proxy, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's already time for coming soon, Carla. Coming soon. Let's I'm not ready. Go and see other things <laughs> immediately. I still feel like I'm catching up. Yes, and as we record, we are in the thick of Melbourne Festival. And we, as I said, we'll talk more about some Melbourne Festival shows during our next episode and perhaps sort of check in about the vibe of the festival. There's a new director. Yes. What do we think? Yes, okay. What do you think, listeners? We'll talk about it. But in November, there is a event run by the Melbourne City Council, Melbourne Music Week. And it seems like basically the coolest thing there is ever. Yes, So those listening now might want to check out the Melbourne Music Week website at thatsmelbourne.com.au. And, oh, Opera Australia are putting on the ring cycle again. (gasps) Hashtag out of ideas. I... (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that, to be it's perfectly wrong. honest. And how much is it now? It's just like Surely that. it's gone up. No, same price. Oh. But same price, disgusting. I yeah. mean, what's the point of having the Wheel of Family give whatever million they gave? I think it was a million. Really? It's so depressing. We have this one philanthropic family that we have to sort of all gag and politely applaud over. Why you want more? I Usually there's the Murdochs the Murdochs. Oh, there's well. the Murdochs. Yes. Oh, and there's um, Burnside, the nice lawyer who likes chamber music. Yes. But it's so affordable to get into the programs of MSO and Music Aviva and Friends. Really, if you want your name in a brochure, it's affordable in this country. It's cheap. It can happen. It's yes. cheap. Yeah. So I saw The Ring Cycle last time, which was about a day ago. So I'm not <laughs> really motivated to see the same production, but... Listeners, if you like, um, you know, well done Wagner, check it out. It does not appeal to me <laughs> in any way, shape or form. It's got dragons. You know me, I can't do anything over an hour and a half. Oh, oh alone, right. Yeah, yeah, it's not this? for it's you. Like not for you. 17 hours or something. Uh, you're going to the races? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't I feel like I really want to get away that weekend. This is the time where you should I sort get of the start Monday. planning it. I get the Monday. Yeah, yeah, we do too. So. I, I sometimes go to Sydney. I don't know. I think I might. I don't know. I've, mm. I've got to think about it. But right now I'm just sort of trying to acclimatise, as they say. Yes. I might go down to the NGV. I haven't been there in a bloody million years. It's wonderful. Okay, NGV, what's on? At the NGV Bulgari. Australia, there – oh, I wish I had the name in front of me. But upstairs, scandalously upstairs, because Indigenous art used to be on the ground floor and free and welcoming and wonderful, but now it's sort of been lurched up three floors. Anyway, fabulous Indigenous art is currently on display for free – There is a big set of artworks donated by a family collected together and displayed together. And a woman artist whose name escapes me has an amazing solo show on the top floor. Okay. And Victor and Rolf will be be coming and opening soon at NGV International. 
Do we want to talk about Banksy? Banksy, yeah. I just, I don't, I'm just so not into the blockbusterization of the arts. I'm not into that word that you just said. I am, <laughs> and I want to say it more and think about it a lot. Let's not. Okay, so let's get rid of Banksy then. I do want to see the Common Ground exhibition that's on at the NGV. I love my modern art. Oh, love it! But what's that? So it's kind of. It, I think it's just you know they've you know gone through the collection and curate, curated a whole bunch of different pieces that they own mm. into a modern art collection. I'm looking at the pictures now. There's Beautiful. you know there's a Patricia Piccinini sculpture. It looks like there's a lot of sculptures in here, which is great. Mm. Uh, so that's something that I'm really interested. I'm just more interested in going to the NGV. But we need to do it. I'd, I'd say six weeks or so should be the NGV rhythm. Like, to go, like as Melbournians, like Jesus. we do, we do need I don't to. I think I've been there in two years. No, get, get back, get back. <laughs> really, it's wonderful, and and there's a, there's a nice energy there now. I'm happy about it. Other than that, arts festival, not a lot of preparation to do because I found the program completely unappealing. What about you? Expensive and mostly sold out. What? Well, yeah. Heaps of things. But there's nothing on, so of course it's sold out. It's yeah. so small. They must that not have much money. flames running through the city Barcelona thing looked a lit, bit contained. Okay. Because it's Melbourne, hashtag safety. Well, let's see. <laughs> let's see how it goes. We are booked in for a few things, yes. but we're not going to see what they are. And I, I'm actually really excited about them, so see you next time. Oh, yes. And then that is that for this month. Thanks for listening. You can contact Philip and I at us at acrossisle.com or on our Facebook page at Across Isle or on our Twitter account, the same, at Across Isle. Shaq West and Mark Barrage are responsible for our contemporary and crisp sound. Thank you to all the artists who put on the shows we have seen this month. Without you, we would be forced to watch HBO. Ew. And announcing our monthly newsletter. So a few of you have been receiving it already for possible supporters in our most recent campaign, over $60 pledges. But now you can get it if you missed out on our possible. You can subscribe for $50 a year on our Patreon account. That's in US dollars, which is why it's $50. Or <laughs> oh, clever. $4 a month. I don't want our possible subscribers to feel jipped. <laughs> or $4 a month rolling subscription. And our newsletter contains the shows that we're going to see so you get forewarning at the beginning of each month and when we're going to record and when you can expect the podcast and you can subscribe at patreon www.heatreon.com slash across aisle so thank you again and we will see you in a month bye